I just think right now, women, especially in business, this is the year of women. I just know that. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Nobody can tell me differently on it. When you start teaching something, I feel like that's when you start to master the actual art of it. You and I, when we publish a book, we can go toe-to-toe with any of the New York trade publishers, any of the big-time authors, and we get to compete in that marketplace and then let the market decide whether our stuff is good. People forget sometimes as an entrepreneur, the whole damn point of entrepreneurship is to make money. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss. Have you ever wanted to stop the nine to five grind and start your own company? Do you want to have more control of your income and your time? Then now is that moment to start and grow a successful business. As a female entrepreneur, I have succeeded. I have bit the dust. I have bounced back to growth and prosperity. But this would not have been possible without first taking the leap and owning my own business. But I didn't do it alone. I hired my first business coach 13 years ago. And now I help small businesses, solo practitioners, and professionals double their income and triple their time off. So let me help you too. My gift to you today is a free one-on-one strategy session. So go to coachwithheather.com, coachwithheather.com. And let me help you double your income and triple your time off. Hi, everyone. This is Heather Havenwood. I am super excited to have um, badass, badass person on the line today. Before we get started, my name is Heather Havenwood. Welcome to Like a Boss, where we help insights with influencers, entrepreneurs, and badass like you rise to the top. And we have Tracy Trim with us. Is it Tim or Trim? Tim. Tim. All right. Tracy <laughs> Tim. And um, if you hear like an echo going on with her uh, microphone, that's because let's talk about where you're at today. Where are you, where are you today? Yes. Uh, well, if I'm being quite honest, I wish I could do a panorama here of what I can see because I am in the airport at a United Club that I got a free pass for, by the way, right. in the wellness room, which I can only imagine is not a place where you can randomly come sleep, but actually a place where women come to pump. Oh. So we're in the United, a little funny. Yeah, we're in the United <laughs> Pump Room together with you. I just think that is absolutely I, awesome. You know, when yeah. you're traveling and when you're busy, it's you make do. You find you find the you time. Because I was like, what is that background? She's like, I'm in the United Pump Room. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> this is going to be a good interview. That's some guy who's probably doing some really big business next door is taking right. over the phone room. He's been in there for like an hour. So oh, of course. Of course. Here we are. Right. He's in, doing some really major... <laughs> Probably not. Probably looking at porn. Anyway, so <laughs> Tracy, Tim, I want to share with you who you are in the world and just what you're up to. So this will be a ton of fun. Uh, yes. Tracy, Tim is a quarter life coach and human capital advisor. Her program, the Nth Degree Academy, helps high potential professionals discover career sweet spot through a mix of self-discovery, tactical training, and some much needed Tracy has a degree in behavioral psychology from Yale, a severely bruised ego from working on Wall Street, and has logged one trip around the entire globe. She believes that her unique purpose in life can be re- realized through our careers and wants to help people come alive t- at work once again. Yes. So I love that. And we we're talking about a little bit about today about um, being the boss of your own career. But I kind of want to take people back about this yeah. uh, moment, severely bruised 
ego. What does that mean? I'm curious. So, you know, Heather, it's, if I'm being totally honest and it's taken years to be totally honest, um, I think it, the journey is like that for all of us. You know, I was the kind of kid who was always a high achiever, always wanted to, needed to be the best. And I ruled at box checking. I was a black belt box checker. I could just get stuff done, get the A's, be first chair, be on the varsity team. And everything that I did, and this is not a humble brag, it's just everything that I chose to do, I already had maybe some natural gift at, and I just put in a little bit of effort. I was pretty good. So I got through my young adult years, you know, being great at things, not because I was a big fish in a small pond, just because I think I, I kept going back to the things I was naturally good at and then had some luck or some skill in. And it wasn't until Wall Street that I realized like, oh, hard work or even like, well, I don't think I'd really done any hard work at that point, but hard work and, and, and leaning on my natural skills, which were like winning people over, being a good speaker or whatever, weren't going to serve me at all. And there was no way to BS my way through it. There was no way to like, you know, love on people on my way through it. It's like you had to put up or shut up. You had to be really good at the technical craft and, and you had to really put up with a really rough environment. And I thought, I I thought not making it there made me a failure. Mm. And you were actually on the floor wall street, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not exactly what you see like with stocks, like all the papers waving around and stuff in a, in a bond and like a asset setting. Um, it's just a ton. It's like a whole field's worth, like a football field's worth of desks. And I had four computer screens. The guy next to me had three. The woman next to me had four. And then we were facing another set of people who had the same setup going on who were traders. And so I was a salesperson. My whole job was to have relationships with um, investors, like asset managers and institutional investors and, um, and then create opportunities to trade with the bank. Um, so you're sitting there, you know, 12 hours a day, you can't get up because if you miss a trade, it goes to another bank and, and you haven't done your job. Um, and it was just the most insanely stressful period of my life. I mean, it is the definition of a sink or swim environment and I'm a swimmer, you know, like I had been a swimmer my whole life and I was like, why do I feel like I'm drowning every single day? And, and we'll get there, but I think it it finally came to realize that I wasn't leveraging anything I was naturally good at. And it felt like I had been, like I was a cow that had been dropped in the ocean and was being compared to dolphins. And I was working my tail off, but like, I'm never going to match up to a dolphin's ability to thrive in that environment. Right. Yeah. So it was, so how did you, this is really, this, I love, I love failure stories. And I, I mean that, (laughs) I mean that. You want to hear a better one? It's coming up. That's so good. (laughs) I think you learn a lot about failure and, um, I'm, you know, it's Wednesday I do interviews and back to back and I just had an interview with somebody and say the name. And if you listen to, I think he was really kind of freaked out by my, like my approach because how he was talking <laughs> was kind of like, everything's been great. And he had a third generation business and stuff. And I said, look, here's the deal. Like you're acting like everything's roses. He's like, well, I'm not going to talk about my family's dirty laundry. I'm like, well, then what's the point of the interview? We're just going to talk about how great, how much you know about. And I said, I think that failure and talking about failure is such a critical piece. It took me years to talk about finally speaking out. Yeah. I went through massive bankruptcy, lost, lost my house, foreclosure, and I lived in the car. Right. You know, it's like, there's, I understand the bruise ego. When I read that in your bio, like I really get that. And I think that, First, I think that women are um, portrayed mm-hmm. that we don't have egos like that. I'm very driven myself. That's a great point. 
we, we're not, you know, oh, what do you mean you have a severely bruised ego? Like you're a woman. It's like, I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> my, I have a girlfriend who's probably the most competitive little winch ever. <clears throat> and I'm very competitive too. We both just went through a process. We had a com- competition we had going on. Yeah. We both lasted three days and called it. <laughs> because it was it was becoming insane like the stanford prison experiment like wow yeah we both were like yeah i got this yeah we're just gonna do this little thing together for 10 days and all of a sudden we're like Wah! you know and yeah. we're competing each other and next thing you know like the third day she's like crying i'm like can, can we just call it and she's like let's call it <laughs> i think that's healthy yeah <laughs> and we both were like and we no one lost no one won yes we're there you go calling it or Called it truce. Isn't that And so let's talk about your ego. Um, and, and that, and I definitely see your overachiever. I can see that you're one of the, I bet you're one of those girls in high school that I was never friends with because you guys had, you had straight A's. I did have straight A's. I graduated fourth in my high school class of 550 people. It's, uh, and I still remember that because it's logged away in there, you know, still my SAT score in case anybody wants to know. Cause I, it's, it, I don't know what happened in my childhood and I, and I have the most wonderful parents, but I'm an only child. And at some point success was being the best. It wasn't being my best. It wasn't trying my best. It was being the best. And, and I think at some point I really sort of tied up love and affection in that as well. Mm-hmm. To be totally honest. And it, it took a long time of unlearning um, I literally remember being in yoga probably five years ago and I was in pigeon pose, which, you know, is miserable. You've got like your leg over your neck and you're laying on the ground. And, and I just felt something release out of my hip. And I was like, oh, it's, it's having to be the best that's keeping me from even trying things that I'm not naturally good at, trying things that are going to take some hard work, trying things that don't have a certainty of outcome. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to really let that go, but it was something that really <laughs> ruled my childhood. I mean, I told this story the other day to somebody I was talking to. My parents knew this so well that when we would go to church when I was growing up, I would get a grade on my behavior at the end of church. Who gave you that? Your parents? My parents would give me a grade. They'd be like, well, today you were an A minus. And holy crap, if I was an A minus, like I-, I was a wreck. I was like, what did I do wrong? They just knew that I was so motivated by the outcome that I could kind of tolerate a lot in the interim. Um, and-, and so I behaved in church. But it just cracks me up because we we see these patterns come back in adulthood and you're so shocked. Like, wow, I can't believe I did that. But then when you look back, there's always a reason, mm-hmm. you know, it, it always comes from somewhere. It's so funny. what was the other, you said you were going to say another failure story. Oh, so yeah, Let's go there. we're going there. We're going there. I got my coffee. I thought I had my most humble moment quitting. So quit wall street. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I ended up um, doing something, what I thought was pretty creative and it, and it worked out great. Um, I went on a semester at sea which is usually an undergraduate study abroad program, but I went at 25 as a post-grad and I sailed once around the world and I took classes and I met some amazing entrepreneurs and I came back just like on fire and feeling possibility again. But then like life happens, right? You've got to like cobble together stuff. And if you want really a, um, a more dynamic, sometimes remote, whatever life, sometimes you just have to do what you need to do to put food on the table. So at one point I was working at Lululemon in retail 
seasonally, by the way, not full time. Uh, I was waiting tables at a local steak place in Dallas. I was writing freelance content online and I was just miserable. I was trying to like figure out what my next step was, but I wasn't sure yet, but I wasn't ready to commit to a full-time job. So it got to the point, I thought this was my lowest low. My old boss from Wall Street, I shit you not, walked into the restaurant that I was working in and sat in my section. And I was like, are you serious, God? Like, are you like, I, like clearly I needed some humility in my life, right? <laughs> I couldn't even wait. I couldn't do it. I, I literally wasn't at the point where I could face that man with like any confidence whatsoever. And I thought that was, that was it. I'm like, here I am. I have a wall street experience. I have a Yale degree, Yale degree. And I'm asking people if they want their steak, medium rare, medium rare plus. That was my life. And I thought that was bad. It turns out what's worse is getting fired from a job that you really didn't want in the first place because uh, out of fear and out of just sort of desperation at that point, I took a full-time job in, a, in an industry that was tangentially related to what I wanted to do eventually. I knew I had in my heart to do this kind of talent development, leadership development stuff that you and I are doing now and working with real people on, on real goals and real problems, not in a counselor setting, but more in a coach setting. And so I got a job working at a company that made, um, they outsourced products for other companies that did training and development. So they built webinars and ILTs and whatever. And they were just so happy to have like a, a Yale grad and whatever that meant. <laughs> and I was so happy to have a salary and like dental uh, that neither of us really like inspected, you know, what we were getting into. And I kid you not. And it took, like I said, it took me, it took me years to even say this word. I got fired three months into that job three months and month one, the guy was like, you know, you really, I, I don't know how this is going. You really got to step it up. And I was like, I'm sorry. What don't you wanted me? Like, what are you talking about? And month three rolls around and they were, he was like, this just isn't working. I'm like, what this outfit isn't working. My hair. Isn't working. Like I, I just could not, you know what I mean? Like you, it's something you never expect or you never see coming necessarily, even though I mean, Heather, I was miserable there too. I, it was a horrible fit for them. It was a horrible fit for me. Had I done my job in really inspecting what they were going to ask of me, I should never have said yes, you right. know? Right. But you sometimes are just, it's like, uh, it's like dating. You're like, I'll take the guess of the date. Just because yes. Somebody, oh my gosh. Somebody's like, they asked me out. Like you're not I, my type at all. It'll never yes. work, but I'll say yes because. This is kind of funny that you said that because I used to say this all the time. It's exactly like when you're, guys do this and girls do this, but you meet somebody and they worship at the altar of you. They like are obsessed with you. They adore you. So they're, like, oh, you they're yes, they're taking you out. They're like telling you of their undying love. And you're like, you know, they're great. Like maybe it'll grow on me. You know, maybe it's just one of those slower progression things. And so you go in and, and then three months down the road, they're, they're the ones going like, you don't really like me that much and we don't really have that much in common. So I'm out of here. And then you're left holding the bag and you're like, wait, I thought, I thought I was doing you a favor. <laughs> and I mean, it's exactly how I felt. I remember literally being in Dallas driving around in my car with a Jamocha shake and a honey butter chicken biscuit from Whataburger. And like, and I, I couldn't stop to eat it. I couldn't like call anybody. I remember calling my mom. She thought somebody died. I was like, mom, my God, <laughs> like I couldn't get it out. Yeah. Um, that was the lowest of lows, but I'll tell you what. Um, and this is, you know, my hero story, right? Whatever. I just sat there and was like, clearly I can't be in charge of my own decisions. Like, God, can you just tell me what to do? I'll just go do it. I'll just go do it. And that was the first time in my heart where I was just like, I'm not meant to be an employee. I'm not good at working for someone else. And I have this mission on my heart to help people 
with career clarity, with career strategy, which by the way, sounds like I have no business doing based on all these stories, but I had literally done enough wrong moves that I could help somebody figure out if you're making a decision based off X, it's probably not going to get you where you want to go. And if you really get true to your core values, that's going to be a much clearer path. So do you do anything with the strength, strength trainings, the strength? Uh, I love strengths finder. I'm actually more of a big fan of, of behaviorally based assessments. So ones that my, my degrees in psychology. So ones that really get at what are your core drives and your needs that create your most frequent behaviors are the like, ones really good. So I like predictive index. That's my personal favorite. I use that one professionally with uh, corporate clients uh, and they love it. It's got great results because you can really see predictively, you know, it's like, it's like all of our behaviors are habits when we get down to it. And really once we get past a certain age, you lean on your behavioral habits to do harder stuff. Like if you and I had to remember how to talk and formulate words, like we couldn't have a a good conversation because we'd be trying to remember how to speak, which is why people get into habits of communication so that they can solve greater problems, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like brushing your teeth. Like every morning I get up and I brush my teeth so much so, and for so many years in a row that probably the next day I'm going to do it exactly the same. Right. And those kinds of assessments are great because when you're in the workplace and you can know like, oh, Heather just likes to get directly to the point. She doesn't like to beat around the bush. She doesn't need a whole ton of details. And I can just give Heather boom, 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 boom. Right. And I know that about you within five minutes of us talking. And then Tracy's going to want to know how was your weekend? But she also doesn't want details. She just wants, oh, it was great. And now let's get on with, you know, our day. So it's just really helpful in little things like emails or when you're texting people or, um, you know, just casual conversations when you're walking by in the office that, that really move the needle. But yeah, I love, I'm all about strengths. I mean, we're, we're built a certain way for a reason, I think. And if you're, yes, it's always good to grow and push yourself, but if you're not highly leveraging what comes naturally to you, you're missing out on some really low hanging fruit. So what is that? If someone's listening going, okay, that sounds great, but how do I actually you know, how do I do that? I've been there too. I've been miserable. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think the first place that you want to start ever is with your core values. Like you first, actually first, first, like one a is your circumstances. Like let's live in reality. What are your responsibilities? What do you have to pay for? How much money do you need to make? Like just the basics, right? Of the life that you have and the life that you want, but then also what matters to you? Like when you get down to it, like, is it people or is it problems? You know, is it details or is it big picture? Is it, what do you mean by what matters to you? I mean, Let's say you have a client, let's play, that your client's like, well, what matters to me is making money. Then the question is, what do you do with that money? Um, I make more money. (laughs) Everybody wants to make money for a reason. So what's Yeah, no, I had this, yeah, conversation. I want to make money so that I could put more money in the bank or I could, you know, invest and feel secure. Okay, so security is the goal. So how much money is it going to take for you to feel secure? Uh, let's say, let's say 3 million in the bank, in the bank, in the bank. So I find that people, and and maybe you have a different opinion from me from, um, from this. And I'm really curious to hear what it is that everybody that I've worked with, who's reached a certain level of income and has that level of security and sees that trajectory, but also hates their job realizes at some point that that's not a sustainable lifestyle for them. Yeah, but they got to that point. So it's like saying I, so my experience of it is like, 
they say that once you're at the peak. It's easy to say when you're at the peak. Hard to but say that's that the thing. It's the it's the only the only people who realize it are the people who get it, and it's not what they it's not what they were really seeking. What they were really seeking was security or happiness or fulfillment or attainment or something. And the money isn't cutting it. The money isn't. It's not cutting it, but it does give them the freedom to be able to think at that level, which is the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? So it's hard to say. It's hard to say to somebody when they're at the top of the mountain, going, "Hey, this is not really what I'm seeking. What I'm really seeking is love or freedom or whatever." When they're like, "Yeah, screw you. I can't pay my light bill, fucker." You know, it's like that's my own. Sorry, I'll cut that out. But I mean, I I think that's I. I get. And so by the way, I just need to let you know, and please thank you for the conversation. My own therapist said, you need to find your values. And the very first time she said, I told her to F off too. So, so (laughs) you know, this is not the first time I've had this conversation with somebody. So, um, cause I don't, I, I, I'm not saying she's right or you're right or you're wrong or you're wrong or she's wrong. I just don't necessarily am aligned with it at this point. Like I don't see why. And so I'm just digging a little deeper if you don't mind, like what's the, why is it that the values, uh, what your quote was, what matters to you mm-hmm. is why start there? Maybe that's a better. It's, it's, it's thus far in the five years that I've, that I've been in this business that I've, that I've done one-on-one coaching, digital programs, come up with our own signature system, you know, have a small, t- like all of it. Values is the sustainable piece. If, if all you're ever doing in your career is just searching for something external to give you the feeling that you want, to give you the sense of whatever it is that you want to experience, joy, satisfaction, security, stability, and you get there, it's never going to be enough. If you decide that success is a million dollars, once you get to a million dollars, who says, oh yeah, I'm good? Like nobody. No, you, there's always more. Man, I want the yacht. Yes. Right. Then you want the $2 million and then you want the $3 million because it gives you X amount in interest. And right. It's, it's a never ending cycle. So I have a business coach that I adore and she has a, a hypnotherapist on her team. And with her mastery program, you get an hour with him every month and he's phenomenal. And he's really helped me discover that like, this is going to sound a little woo woo, but it's true that if you're always looking for those external markers of success and none of it, and you don't realize that it all comes from within you, it, it, it can only come from you. So that it's more about bringing what you want out of something to it and infusing. So mine right now is joy. I, I feel like I've kind of lost a little bit of the sense of joy that I had when I first started my business or even when I had, when I got in this year and really had some new initiatives. And when you get into the slog of it, you kind of lose the vision, right? So he was like, instead of doing things to pull joy out of them, why don't you try to infuse things that you do with joy and start your day off with something that's joyful, like dancing or singing or being silly or whatever, because once it's in your physiology, sitting, sitting in the United room with the, with my lovely crappy coffee, <laughs> it should be wine and it will be a mimosa as soon as we're done. I mean, that's joy right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, 
it's the only sustainable thing because something is always going to get in the way of our success. There's always going to be something hard to push through. There's always going to be a roadblock of some sort. And if, if your motivation comes from like an intrinsic value or desire to see an outcome in the world or because you love an activity, there's just a different level of energy that you bring to it. Like when I'm doing this, this is my happy place. I love being interviewed. If I could do this all day long every day, I, I, would, I would love it because I just feel like I light up when I'm talking about things that I'm learning. And that's different for everybody. You know what I mean? Yours, yours, I have, I don't know. What is yours? Is it, is it <laughs> competition with your, with your girlfriends? Cause that, no, 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 that was for me that too. Was that, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It yeah. Has, hold on. Let me interrupt. So, yeah. um, as far as, you know, values, I understand what you're saying, right? There, it, there is a level of that mm-hmm. and part, part of it. Uh, and I, I used to live in Marco Island and Marco Island is South of Fort Myers, which is South of Naples, South, South, South. Wow. Okay. And very South. And the average, it's Florida and it's South Florida and it's the end of the road. It literally says the exit's like, you must exit or you'll go to the Everglades with like a big alligator sign. Yeah. <laughs> go here or get to swamp. Like, yes, it's all your choice. And, um, when I lived there, the average age is 80 and <clears throat> so they're retired. And uh, there was a ton of Bentleys and extremely wealthy people there. Mm-hmm. Um, Naples, you know, you could go down Fifth Avenue and it's just like Bentleys. And yeah, you, know, if you had like a four-year-old Lexus, you're garbage, <laughs> you know, like, yes. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. There's one of those here. Well, one of the things I learned there was there was two, and, I, and I'm, adding, I'm adding something to you that you yeah. know, there's two types of people on the island. And that I met. And first of all, this is one of those places where you go to Starbucks at like two in the afternoon or noon and it's packed and no one's going anywhere. And yeah, they're all just reading the paper. No, they're ta- no, no. Oh, they're, they're talking not. to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shocker. They actually like, it's like, a, it's like, you know, what do you call it? The rotary or like the old school club yeah, the, the vf club. or the vfw everybody hanging out at the lodge yeah like the lodge so you walk in i literally would say people go come on over here like i'm a i'm like you don't even know me yes yeah, sit down. like talk to us like it was like the weirdest i love that ever but here's my point so there were two types of people that i realized that were there you had the people that were like up to something they were alive they were like you know happy they were joyful whatever and then there are people that as soon as they got on the island, they got retired, they would pretty much get sick pretty fast. And yeah. they would, uh, you know, they just get sick pretty fast. So there were two types and I couldn't figure out why. And so once I started to dig a little deeper, I realized that majority, I'm going to use the word majority, you know, in my own little testing, the majority of people that were happy, let's say, you know, like go get them and get up and talk to people. They were at some level in their life, some level of an entrepreneur, Ah. something Now they could have been artists or creator, you know, didn't matter some level of that. Okay. And then the people that what I call the ogres, like there were some ogres. (laughs) You know, you talk to them like, I don't want to talk to you, whippersnapper. Like there were those off my lawn, you know, yes, the grandpa fist. Yeah. The grandpa fist, like <laughs> screaming at me for no reason, like just for breathing. And, um, they were, if I, if I got to talk to them and like ask their background, it was, they, 
were always from up north, northeast, and uh, they always worked for the government on some level. It could have oh. been like been the military for years. It could have been like mm-hmm. for years. It could have been they worked for some dead company for 25, 30 years. And then when they got retired, which they were living for. Yes. And then they're there, like, here I am on this gorgeous island and I'm still pissed. Mm-hmm. And so they just took, but they got to their destination. Yeah. And the entrepreneurs, there was never a destination. Like they just live here now, but that's just not the destination. It was never a destination play. So when I hear people go, well, I'll work for the company for 30 years and then I'll live or then I'll retire and then I'll get what I want. I'm always like, eh. so in that moment, one of the things I learned from that, from that island experience was there's never retirement. What that did is, yeah. it, is freed me up to do whatever the hell I wanted for for life. Not like, well, if I do this and in 20 years, then like, it's just, this is what I do. Yeah. I might die tomorrow. I might die when I'm 80. Like, I don't really know exactly. So what do you think of that? What do you think of that based on your psychology and regimen? I think that's so beautiful that you got to see a real life manifestation of it because I personally, Ever since I was little, I remember the idea of retirement scaring the crap out of me. I was like, wait, 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 wait. So you work your whole life when you're like physically able to do things and you're working uh, to retire when you're old and perhaps sick or, you know, not certainly more feeble than you've ever been in your life. Right. And you just wait around to die. Like, is that, is that the whole point? That's, yeah, that was what's so interesting. The people that were, I call the ogres, it's like, that's what they realized. They were like, yes. I'm, what am I doing now? I'm just waiting to die yes. because they had been programmed to just go to work. The entrepreneurs, even if they were successful or not, it didn't matter by the way, they were just like, they creators, they created, felt, created, fell, yes. failed. You know, one of the guys I met, he had this big business and his, his, his uh, kids were taking it over. But all we talked about was, and he was a big success I and mean, he was doing well. However, we sat down, he talked about all these failures and he had to go over to his wife. He's like, I can't pay the light bill. She's like, I got five kids. And like this back, <laughs> back when it was like a struggle and what he went through. And he, so when he was sitting on the Island, you know, by himself, yeah. you know, he was like this jovial guy and, uh, dearly missed. And their family called me like, I only knew him for a year, called me when he passed. Oh. It like broke my heart. I mean, I own this guy for a year. But my point was, is like, yeah. he was, and that's when I realized it's not about the destination. And you know what your point is as well, I think, is that he was alive. He, he was. Living his really life was. alive during and then after, right? Like the, the, the most, um, I think, uh, flexible part. Yeah. Like, it, so the Japanese, there's this, there's this great TED talk. If you haven't seen it, it's this guy who studied um, what he calls blue zones, which are these places in the world where people live to be a hundred plus, like regularly. And one of them is in, I think it's Okinawa, Japan. And the Japanese have, um, and there were these hundred year old, hundred and ten year old guys who would get up every day and they'd go fishing. And these hundred and ten year old women who'd hold their great great grandbabies, and like they had a purpose. They lived with purpose. And the Japanese have this concept called Ikigai. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it's I-K-I-G-A-I. And it's four things. And, and these four things kind of represent like your reason for being. And 
I, for every client I ever work with, whether they go through a digital program or a retreat or a VIP program, or even our year long mastery program, we're always going back to these four things. It's something you love, something you're good at, something the world needs. And Oh, by the way, something that you can get paid doing. And if you have those four things, I think you have this all encompassing meaningfulness to what you do. And we're always slipping a little in one part. Like sometimes you get into it and you got into it cause you loved it. And now you're doing the part you kind of hate, or sometimes you get into it and you're doing all the things you're good at. At, but now you're having to stretch a little bit. So maybe you're outside of your good at zone or whatever. We're always balancing back and forth with that. Um, but I think once you realize that, that life is a constant balancing act, right? We're not really living on, we're living on a tightrope most of the time. And you'll see, like, I love, who was it? I think it's, um, Gary Keller from The One Thing. Ballerinas, while they look like they're super balanced, what they're actually doing is tiny little counterbalancing motions all the time. So balance is a fallacy. It's not a real thing. Balancy is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the more fun way to say it. I think. Yeah. No, I, I had a conversation. In fact, I had a date that went soured actually after this, this is a, a first date gone wrong. And just because you know, life is a balance. I go, no, it's not. No, we disagree. It's a bullshit. He goes, yeah, we need to balance. I'm like, we're done. Like, <laughs> because what that told me in the conversation is that he has to keep things in control. It's a control mm -hmm. thing. Like, well, I work and then I do this and he's trying to control. I'm like, if you try to put that restriction on me, yeah, first out of relationship would never work, but just in general, I think it's bullshit. I had a, a, a dear friend of mine known for 12 years. We had a big fight about that. Not because like a fight, like I want to fight because I love to debate, but it's, it's also like, it's like, it's not real. And I think it's a really bad social programming. It's, it's really bad social programming. It's the same with the with the retirement thing, Heather. You know, That's like horrible it's, word, retire. It's bad. Yeah, it's but like with re with retirement, with our our societal versions of success, with all the external trappings that you know, the major focus on salary numbers, even when you haven't even decided what kind of lifestyle you want in the first place, right. Right. It's you're right. It's, it's really bad programming. And a lot of us are raised on it and you have to unlearn it. If that's, you know, who I, who I, I blame for that. And I'm just going to say that, but I'm curious. I want you to repeat the four things by the way. Yeah. Is I blame uh, all MLM companies for it. <laughs> because they, all they do is start with is the lifestyle, the lifestyle and retirement. And I'm like, that is horrible. Right. Oh, and yes. so, and then, the, and the, but it started back in the fifties with companies and the retirement it started then. And then MLMs kind of uh, like kept it going. Yeah. And now I, I, one thing I love about this new generation, the ones under millennials and millennials too, and mm -hmm. very few things I love about you guys. <laughs> is it's all that, good. You're not alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that you, you know, you guys are have this like, what, you know, if I'm not happy with this company or job, I leave. In the old days, it was like, I stick it out for my 20 years, you know, and get my water. And that still happens, of course, in things like government stuff and military. And I get that, right? But yeah. the world of like non-secular or non-secular, uh, um, outside the military stuff yeah. and outside of the government, um, you know, most people are like, I'm not happy here, I'm out. Or I don't like the environment, I'm out. Or I don't even like y'all's office, I'm out. I mean, and some people look at that like, well, they're sort of through. I'm like, I, I kind of get that. They're being like, you know. It's not perfect. At the same time, they're very much like, I want to be happy. Yeah. And I think we saw too, and this is a little bit of the societal breakdown of this, of this trade-off or this promise, right? Is in 2006 and 2007 and since 
company loyalty has completely yeah. waned. Like I talk to business owners and I get asked by like radio hosts when I'm do like, uh, you know, news interviews and stuff all the time. Like what's with these millennials and their lack of loyalty and how can companies increase loyalty? I'm like, companies can increase loyalty by being more loyal to their employees and giving a shit about what they care about. Not just about the bottom line, right? Not just about the numbers, which are important, but millennials, I mean, we all want to know that what we do every day matters, right? In some capacity, like deep down, I think we want to know that. And maybe that it just matters to us is fine. But when you haven't tapped into your core values and you don't know for sure what that is, at the very least, you want to know that the work you're doing is benefiting your company. And if they don't tell you, why would you stay? I mean, I, I get it. I'm, and I'm, I've done that. I've done that a couple times. So tell us, what are those four again? That you yeah. Said? So the concept is Japanese's like reason for being. So it'd be like the French right. kind of raison d'etre. And the four things are something you love, mm-hmm. something Not. you're good at, something the world needs. I also say that that's something you find meaningful mm-hmm. um, and something you can get paid for. If you have the first three, you're a volunteer, right? If you have the last one, you have a sustainable career or job that's going to serve you in more ways than one. And I'll tell you what, Heather, I just want to get this in because I think this is super important because you're going to have plenty of people listening to this who are like, okay, but if I do what I love, I can't make money. I'm going to take a huge pay cut, whatever. The reality is, and studies show that people who love their work, even compared to people who like their work, when they're rich, not only make two times as much money, but they make it in one third the amount of time. Like it's crazy. There's a great study. This guy wrote a book called Rich Habits. And he did a thing on Business Insider about this. And he literally studied rich people who love their jobs versus rich people who like their jobs. And the people who love their jobs made $7.6 million in a, in, on average in an average of 12 years, whereas the people who said that they just like their job, not even miserable, right? Not even doing something they don't like just to make the money, made only $3.4 million, only $3.4 million. But they took them 31 years yeah. on average to do it. Yeah, that's not, I mean looking at the like numbers of that, right? I'm looking right. at Right. But it's, it's true. I mean, you can look it up, but the point being that if you love what you do, you're going to inevitably work harder and longer at it. If you work harder and longer at something, hopefully you're getting better. And in our economy, if you're the best, you're a commodity, right? You get paid the most. You become an asset that's above all the other commodities that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing. So I tell people you're paid for your value in the marketplace. Do you agree yeah. with that? Generally speaking, I think it's really sad that we, you know, Ooh, this is interesting. This is where, this is where people are like, but what about teachers? They create so much value. Like, yes, but also our education system's a little messed up and we're not teaching kids like really practical stuff ever. Right. If, if you and I both knew more about ourselves when we graduated high school or college, we probably would have made different career mm-hmm. decisions, mm-hmm. would have made better relationship decisions. We've been more responsible with our money, but we don't teach kids that stuff. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. some teachers go out of their way to do it, but you know, well, I think the worst thing you could ever ask a 17 year old is what do you want to do the rest of your life? Oh. I mean, you know, what's your career path? What, what are you studying college? All that stuff. And I, um, I mean, I didn't know the hell I was, I, I started with, a, if, if people, I'll say this in people who know me were like going to laugh. My first, my first major choice in college was accounting. <laughs> <laughs> like, right? <laughs> right? Are you kidding me? 
Yeah. Uh, I did actually end up rooming with an accountant who is truly an accountant. Yeah. I, I roomed with her. God, we roomed together for a while in a dorm. And uh, I'll never forget it. This is one of the moments I'm like, I made the right decision. I mean, I changed my major, obviously. But um, she's like, did you borrow my Prince CD? This is like dating me. And I said, uh, yeah, but I put it back or, you know, whatever I said. Yeah. And she goes, well, honey, I know. But, you know, we've lived together now for two years. And you do know that I alphabetize my <laughs> and I literally was like, really? I didn't even, re- cause oh, that's a me. You kidding me? Like, <clears throat> yes. but she was just like that, but she just was basically saying, come on, Heather, like, it's been two years. You're like, yeah. that. and I'm like, where'd I put it? She's like, <laughs> like the A's or something. Anyway, like, my point yeah. is that I think it's the worst decision ever to ask a 17 year old or 16 year old or 18 year old or 20 year old. Like, what do you, what what degree, what career path? First of all, now in today's world, there is a career path. There's no path anymore. So I want to push back on, on not the career path thing, but okay. the asking thing only because I think if you're asking better questions earlier, that's yeah. really valuable. Cause I wish, I wish someone had put the context of like, or had put my box checking in the context of, Hey, you're going to have to do something to make money after all this box checking is over. Have you even thought about that? Which I'll tell you what, maybe this is me being naive. Maybe this is where I was raised. I don't know what, but I didn't, I was so myopically focused on achieving and performing and getting to the next step that had been predetermined that when I wound up with no more steps, I was like, way out of my comfort zone. So, so just to put that in context, I love that there's, I'm going through a, um, um, a personal injury case right now. And the, the opposing counsel, I keep asking my attorney, I don't get what's happening. She, he said, she's a box checker. And the, what's happening with that and the, the, why I'm getting context to that. Yeah. Some people might say, what's wrong with that? Wh- because she's so focused on the box checking, she's not critical thinking and she's mm-hmm. missing a lot of what's happening in the case because the case is big. It's been three years or born a trial. So there's, there's like things she's missing. Yeah. She's not connecting the dots inside yes. the context. She's just looking at the check boxes. Yeah. When you're that, like I said, it's my, that, yeah. You don't see the creativity mm-hmm. of like, Oh, this is connected to this. And this is connected to this. You've got, that's like an artist. You've got to be open to yeah. cross, you know, seeing things, your, your critical thinking kind of gets diminished when all she's focused on checking boxes, you know? Yep. I think you're absolutely right. So I did that too much. And I wish, I wish I had been asked maybe more critical thinking questions when I was growing up. Right. So it's not, what do you want to be when you grow up or what's your career path? But it's like, what, my favorite questions are, who do you have a heart to serve? So like who, 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 like when you think about like, who do you want to be around or what kind of things do you want to, you know, it's, who do you have a heart to serve? What are you curious about? Because if you're innately curious about something, you're going to be reading about it. And then my favorite is, what do you want to stretch towards? Mm. And those are usually the three questions that once we get to like the niche part of the nth degree, my uh, digital program for career clarity and strategy, that, that we really start to understand, oh, okay, this is the context of what I'm naturally good at. This is the context of what I've learned over time. And it's the context of your core values. It's the manifestation of them. And yeah. most people can answer those three questions if they think pretty critically about it. And you, and, and you do it by, I think, also knocking off the things that it, that it isn't. So like when I was still in college and I'm um, getting my degree, 
I thought maybe I would want to work in child life, which if you've never heard of that is a specialty within children's hospitals where you're the only non-medical staff that has patient interaction. And your whole job is to optimize their health and well-being by optimizing their environment. So, you know, studies show that like children who are in the hospital for long periods of time actually get better faster if they have their procedures done in a room that's separate from the room that they live in because they come to associate their room that they live in with security and safety and the body actually heals faster. So if you can advocate for the child to go into another room, which annoys the doctors and the nurses, but is better for the kid, uh, then happy days, right? And they're, and then the hospital saves money, the family saves money, everybody's good, right? I realized I do not have a heart to serve really sick children. Some people do, and they are angels, and that is wonderful, but it was, they were not my people. They were, I have a heart to serve a very certain kind of person. And I think when you realize that, it gives such clear context to the ideal work environment that mm. you could be in and be not only of the most service, but get the most value out of it, right? Because we're looking for both. It's an exchange, I think. And when you're being really served by what you're doing, I think you're of the greatest service mm-hmm. in what you're doing. So that's my two cents on the, <laughs> I love it. I love that. Well, let me talk more. We're kind of running out of time, but I just wanted to, where can people find you? Yes. So we're going to have a special link for listeners of this show in particular to go to after the fact. So it's going to be tracytim.com slash like a boss course. Uh, and there you can find all kinds of resources. Um, you can get in touch with me directly if you want to schedule some type of clarity call, talk about your career, talk about your business. You can uh, sign up for our masterclass, which is really about jumpstarting your career. If you feel stuck, it's called from stuck to unstoppable. And then we have some really nice free guides, just things like four places to find your dream job, five ways to get immediately unstuck. And I have a career clarity starter kit there. Um, but you can get to all the social links and everything just by going to Tracy com slash like a boss. Love it. Tracy yeah. Tim with two M's by the way, T I M M. I should have it be Tracy Tim.com slash from the pump room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I could live in the pump room. United pump room on a Wednesday. This has been a joy, Heather. Thank you so much for like pushing some of my thinking and, and really being thoughtful about this interview. I appreciate it so much. Sure. And you're just doing a great value for people. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that. I love debates. I, I know. Right? I really, I couldn't tell it. Yeah. I should have been on the debate team, but I was told that I was a female and I wasn't allowed. What? All yeah. Right. High school. Right. Right there. I should have been the debate team. I should have been in the uh, golf team because I liked golf, but I was told I was a female and that, that, um, that I wasn't allowed. Well, but you only- are living, breathing debate team right now. And I am. And I am. <laughs> Definitely hinders my dating experience. Cause I started debating with them on, on, on stuff on the first date. So yeah. and second dates are like, not- <laughs> that's okay. I usually did. I make a decision and I'm like, I'm debating him out of a second date right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, you're so confrontational. I'm like, what do you want me to be? Just sweet and nice all the time. Mm. Mm. As I always tell people, as I always tell people, I am not nice, but I am relatable. Well, nice enough to me. And I really just appreciate this opportunity to be on the show and, and I'd love to be back anytime and you should come um, hang out with me on my, on my show as well. Sometime. Thank you. I'd love to hang out in the pump room with you. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Live from the pump room. Live from the pump room. The debate Um, girls. All right, guys. I'm just going to hold this out real quick. My name is Heather Haywin. Check it out. Thank you for so much, Tracy. That's T-R-A-C-E-Y-T-I-M-M dot com forward slash. And Tracy, thank you again so much for your time. This is Heather Haywin with Like a Boss, helping you rise to the top. 
Hey, it's Heather. Is your digestion feeling off? Are you often hungry even though you're eating enough and taking supplements? Are you struggling to burn off that last bit of stubborn fat that will not go away no matter how hard you diet or exercise? I guess I'm talking about myself here. See, it might be your gut. It was mine. That's why I am so excited to announce that P3OM, the Navy SEAL of probiotics, is now available at energywithheather.com. Look, tens of thousands of real people, including myself, has used P3OM to manage constipation, bloating, gas, acid reflux, abdominal pain, and much more. Look, as you'll learn when you go to energywithheather.com, P3OM uses unique and patent strand that has been proven in lab tests to deliver the right bacteria to your gut. So your body has what it needs to let go of all that fat. So look, what are you waiting for? Go to energywithheather.com. That's energywithheather.com. Are you a coach, consultant, small business owner, or online entrepreneur? Do you want to significantly grow your business, triple your list, and double your sales conversions? If the answer is yes, then launching a podcast is the next step. You see, being an expert in your field, having a website is no longer enough to be noticed in today's marketplace. I call it the influencer effect. Being an influencer is the key. You see, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And having your own podcast helps people to connect with you. If you're interested in having me help you launch your own podcast, grow your influence, and promote your business, then go to InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. That's InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. And let me help you rise to the top. Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook, when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200, and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.